Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. All right, here we go, Luke 6. Get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out if you brought your Bibles. We are going to talk about Jesus. We are going to talk about Jesus. Come on, y'all can't have DCR beating us. What's wrong with you guys? It's embarrassing. Little competitive. Only, only for the things of God. Amen? Because I'm spiritual. Here we go. Luke 6 says this. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus is uh, pretty frank here. I love this. He says this. Luke 6, 46 through, I believe, 49. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. I'll I'll show you what that's like. Jesus says, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. That's what happens when we listen to his word and when we do his word, church. But verse 49 says, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey, hears my words, but don't put my words into practice, is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. So when the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. I'm coming for your throats this morning, church. Coming for your throats. But this is Jesus, not Pastor Mark. Church, I I, want to challenge you with the thought that the mark of an authentic Jesus follower is not only that they hear what Jesus says, but they do what Jesus says. Amen. We got to be doers of his word. And our salvation, let's not forget, is found in us making Jesus Lord of our life. To hear what Jesus says, but to not do what he says is not making Jesus Lord of your life. We need to put our, we become servants of Jesus. Our lordship is found in Jesus. Now, that that word Lord, that can be scary. That can be intimidating. That can sound burdensome if your Lord is abrasive and abusive, right? And doesn't have your best for you. But we know we can submit our lives to Jesus's lordship because in, uh, in, in making him Lord, we only find life more to the full. We, we only find abundant life in Jesus when we give ourselves over to him. What I love about Jesus's lordship is our life in that, or I'm sorry, but what I love about Jesus's lordship in our life is that his lordship is built on love. It's not built on control. It's not built on abuse. It's not built on being bossy, right? It's built on love. And if it wasn't built on love, that lordship could be awful, but he is a good father. He is a sovereign Lord. And you can trust that when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you will only discover life to the full. That'll preach, amen? Amen. Let's go home. Thank you. No, I'm playing. Come on. 
We're just getting started. Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 22. Today, we're going to talk about the two greatest commandments, the two greatest commandments. As you guys flip there, I'm going to pray over this word, and then we'll jump in. My voice is a little hoarse. Uh, honestly, I might cough up a couple of loogies on stage. I know that sounds gross. Your boy has, is just getting over bronchitis, but I'm here full of faith, ready to preach, so have some grace for me. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Jesus. Uh, as we're in your house this morning, God, I pray that you would till the soil of our hearts as the seed of your word goes forth. I pray that it would land on that fertile soil and it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. Like we already talked about, we don't want to just be believers who hear your word but don't do your word. We want to be believers who faith is full of action. God, come on, stir us up. Stir something deep within us. Minister to us. Uh, speak to the deepest parts of us. Help us to grab hold of your word. I believe if we do, it'll be transformative. God, I pray that you would transform us into the image of your son, Jesus, in your holy and mighty name, we all said, amen. amen. So as we drop into Matthew 22, I want to provide some context as to what is going on in this moment as we come up on this verse in Matthew 22. So in the previous chapter, Matthew 21, we find Jesus, he enters the, he enters the temple, and there's people selling animals for sacrifices in the temple. And this is like, you know, they've turned his, his uh, church, they've turned his temple into a marketplace, so to speak. And this furiates Jesus, and he, and he kicks the market people out of the church. And he says, man, he's like, my temple, my house will be a house of prayer. And then Jesus not only begins to teach the word of God, but he begins to miraculously heal the blind and heal the lame. And it says that, I, I love this in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 21, somewhere in there, it says, even the children in the temple said, praise God for the son of David. So even the children are seeing what Jesus is doing. Son of David is a, is a messianic term re referring to Jesus as the Messiah, and they're saying, praise God for, for the son of David, right? Even the kids are fired up. Even the kids are catching fire, right? They're in, in, in it's, and it's powerful. And you have the Pharisees who are the religious leaders, and people are referring or even making close mention that Jesus is this messianic figure, and they're disgruntled by that. Because Jesus doesn't look anything like what they thought the Messiah would look like. So they, they start to question Jesus on, on whose authority are you doing this by? How, and who, who gave you the power to do what you're doing? They, they don't want to receive it, but they can't deny what Jesus is doing is just miraculous nonetheless. So Jesus sits, you know, he, he starts to converse with these Sadducees and, and with these Pharisees, these religious teachers of the time, and he begins using parables. And we've talked a lot about parables as a church. It's an earthly story with heavenly principles. This was a teaching tool that Jesus would use to communicate his points and, and make clear what he was trying to communicate. And so he, he's, he's conversing with them, and there's this crowd of people that Jesus is talking to. So that's coming out of Matthew 21, and then it leads us in to Matthew 22. And um, the, the religious leaders, they're, 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 like I said, they're noticing all of this. And then Jesus, he, he quiets some of the religious leaders, but then a couple more religious leaders approach them, and one of them has the nerve to ask Jesus an interesting question. I, I think it's to test Jesus. 
I don't know if he was mocking Jesus or if he observed that Jesus really did have this gift of wisdom and knowledge and was impressed by what he knew, impressed by his authority. So, so he decided to ask him. But, but one of the experts in, in religious law um, comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, <clears throat> what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? So Jesus takes time to answer this. If you're, if you're in Matthew 22, let's read, starting at verse 34. It says this. I'm reading out of the NIV, I believe. It might be NLT on the screen. I'll read off the screen. It says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. Jesus replied, here it is. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the laws, all the commandments, it's, it's all based on these two commandments. So th this expert in religious law says, what's the most important commandment? And it almost appears as if Jesus gives two commandments that are the most important. But what we find out, I think, you know, many times as the reader, we, we read this passage and we think, okay, greatest commandment, one, got to love God, got to love God. And then, you know, silver place, you know, silver medal, second place, we, we got we to gotta love people. And what I want us to understand, church, is these two commandments are not necessarily first important and second important, but they are instead as equally as important and not so much separated from each other. Now, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, I, I think we hear this and we agree, ooh, that sounds good. Amen. We got to do that. Who wants to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? But, but when it's time, if you had to write an instruction manual on what does that look like, how do you do that? It's pretty abstract. That's pretty broad. How, how do I even love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my mind? Now, often Jesus' contemporaries, when, when they would encounter such an abstract teaching or, or lesson, they would refer back to the Old Testament and, and they would look for scriptures that use similar language to, to use as almost like a lens to help interpret what was being taught here. So the two verses from the Old Testament that coincide with what Jesus is saying right here is found in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6, okay? Leviticus, where people go to die in their yearly Bible plans, amen? Here, here it is. I know I'm not the only one. So Leviticus 19.18 says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but here it is, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then Deuteronomy 6.5 says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So essentially what we see Jesus teaching here is for listeners to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. And the most practical way they can do that, put that into practice, is by loving them, their neighbor who is like themselves. 
Something we consistently see in the teachings of Jesus as, as we read all through the Gospels, but specifically in Matthew, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, right? And it is the way I treat others, you can write this down, the way I treat others has a whole lot to do with the way that God acts towards me. Say it again, the, the way I treat others has a whole lot to do with the way that God acts towards me. Now I'll prove it. Matthew 5, 7. It says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You give mercy, you get mercy. Amen? Matthew 6, 14, it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Matthew 7, 1 through 2, it says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. That's scary for some of y'all, because I know some of y'all. You know. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The way we treat others uh, says a lot about the way God will act towards us. Jesus teaches us that a large part of how we display our, our, our worship and our affection and our devotion to him is directly related to the way that we love the people around us. So, Simply put, church, you want to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, aggressively, ruthlessly, like just tenaciously love the people around you. God loves that. And God sees that and says, yeah, that's my kid right there. That's, man, man, their worship, they're devoted to me. Jesus said this in John 13, John 13, 34 through 35. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Everyone say, love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Right? But we, we read in Romans 5, 8 that Jesus died for us. Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. Jesus loved us while we disagreed with him. Jesus loved us while we rebelled against him. Listen, there's going to be people who are tough to love out in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I think y'all know that. You know, you might be sitting next to him right now. But we... But there is a calling here that we are to love others just as Jesus loved us. And Jesus just loved us because he loved us, yeah. right? It, was, it wasn't based on a performance here. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Church, people are going to see Jesus through our lives, through our actions, when, when, we love, when we love others tenaciously, aggressively, ruthlessly, even when they mistreat us, it's going to minister to the people around us. It, it is in those actions that people are going to see Jesus through your life. Now remember, in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, Jesus replied to the expert in the law. This is our original passage we started off on. Jesus replied to the expert in the religious law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. I'm reminded of a similar conversation and interaction Jesus had with an expert in the law, which is found in another one of the Gospels. It's found in Luke 10. And really, for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to kind of park in, in this passage and sort of talk through this passage. Because we, what we see is a, an expert in religious law comes, comes up to Jesus and, 
ask Jesus kind of this golden question, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, you, you got the answers. Now, keep in mind, this is an expert in the law. He knows, he knows the word like no one else knows the word. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? So let's read, let's dive into the story. Luke 10, if you got your Bibles, turn with me. We'll start in verse 25. It says this. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say hold on. All right, Luke 10, 25, it says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you'll live. And then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he said to Jesus, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I understand I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? This is the golden question. Who is my neighbor, I think what this expert in religious law is trying to do is set limits to ensure that he loves the right people. It, and isn't that the great tension we face as believers? Our love for religious performance over our love for God's people. Our, our, our love for religious performance over our love for God's people. We are so good at making Jesus following about ourselves right? But it is about loving other people. Who is my neighbor? Jesus begins to share a parable with this religious expert. So, you know, I always kind of picture this like, you know, I kind of almost think of like this grandpa figure where, you know, you ask him, grandpa, why does it, ha why does it happen like that? And it like drifts off and, well, let me tell you here, son, when you look at two trees, and, you, and it's, like, it's like, you know, this, this guy asked Jesus a question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus just breaks into a story. And he's like, oh, Jesus, that is, listen, I was just asking you a simple question, you know? So Jesus starts to tell, he starts to share a parable with this man. He says, Jesus replied with a story, verse 30. He goes, okay, so a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they left him half dead. Everyone say half dead. Half dead. Half dead. That, that verbiage is important in the story. Because if this man was to die in the care of the priest who's to come along or the temple assistant who's to come along, that, that um, would make them ritually impure. Okay, so, so he's half dead, he's near death, that's important to the story. And, and the listener, the expert in religious law, he'd be aware of that, he'd, he'd know that. So Jesus says that he's half dead on purpose, okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. Verse 31, by chance, uh, Jesus continues the story, he says, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. 
like, yeah, he's half dead. And he passed by on the other side. Now, I think many of us, we've sat in church, some of us have sat in church for years. And we've read this story and we interpret the actions of the priest and the temple assistant as snooty, self-righteous, anything but compassionate. But I think it's vital to interpret the story in its appropriate context. Both of these men had duties they had to fulfill. They had the work of God they had to fulfill in the temple. If they were to care for this man and he were to die, they are to have no interaction. They can't even be, they're not even supposed to be in the same room as a corpse. They, they, they need to say what religious law states is they need to stay away from dead things, so to speak. So out of duty, out of their commitment to God, they, they feel this tension. They realize he needs help, but they understand their religious duties that they have to do and they're torn between the two. So they decide to move on to avoid becoming ritually impure. It wasn't that they were lacking compassion or weren't interested or didn't want to help. There was a tension taking place within them. These priests, they can't come into contact with a corpse. So Jesus continues his story uh, to the expert in the religious law. Verse 33. Jesus continues, he says, then a despised Samaritan. Everyone say despised. That does not mean well-liked, right? That does not mean valued. This is despised by the Jewish community, a Samaritan, a half-breed, dirty, unclean. We don't talk with them. We don't associate with them, a Samaritan, right? I love Jesus, man. He's, Jesus is so good. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he sent him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So we, we see Jesus insert a third character into this story a character who is specifically despised by the Jewish community. And we see that the Samaritan acts on his compassion that he felt for the man. He acts on his compassion, unlike the priest. So Jesus then turns, he, he finishes stories, he, he sews it up, and he looks at the religious leader, and in verse 36, he says, he asks him, looks him in the eye, it says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? But I want you guys to remember the question the expert in religious law asked. Who is my neighbor? But now Jesus tells him, who was a neighbor? That's important. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy, Jesus. Then Jesus said, yeah, now go and do the same. What Jesus is essentially communicating to this expert in religious law is that it is not so much about who others are to you. You can write this down. It's not so much about who others are to you, but rather being a disciple of Jesus is all about who we are to others. 
It's not about finding the right neighbor as much as it, as much as it is about being the right neighbor, a good neighbor. This is the perspective shift I think Jesus is hoping this expert in religious law has. Because he's wondering, who is my neighbor? I, I want to love the right people. Jesus is saying, don't worry who the neighbor is. You be a good neighbor. You just be a good neighbor. It's not about finding the right neighbor. So I said I was going to spend the rest of our time there. I lied, though. Uh, I want to share, share one more passage related to, um, the, and then I'll sew this thing up. Then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this thing up. But I want to share one more uh, a quick 10 verses <laughs> uh, related to this idea of who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Kim, you can come if you wouldn't mind. Luke 6. Turn with me in your Bibles if you got them. Luke 6, 27 through 36. Who is my neighbor? It's not about finding the right neighbor. It's about being the right neighbor. This is, this is what Jesus was teaching us. Verse 27, Luke 6, it says this. This is Jesus talking. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What? What do you mean, Jesus? I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever really encountered, you know, maybe some of you parents who got kids in, that, in those teen years right now. There can be moments where it's like, boy, you better shut your mouth. <laughs> like, I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced, you know, being treated with hatred. For some reason, the story that just popped in my mind, totally not in my notes. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was always chasing the eighth grade girls, okay? So I had this, I had this group of eighth grade guys who absolutely hated me, and they terrorized me. And um, I was walking in the hall one day. I had a binder. Remember those, like, K-sits? They zip up. You put all your, all your stuff in the binders. They were just, you know, convenient. But I had all my books st stacked on top. And I remember I was walking to class like this. And, and one of these guys comes by and hits these books out of my hand. You know, the halls are, are loaded. And my books just go flying everywhere. Jesus is saying, I want you to love that guy. Right? Have you, have you ever experienced, think, think about the way your family treats you. Maybe you got a coworker you cannot stand and they just try to make your life, I, I don't know, Th think about it. Your, your enemies, people who drive you crazy, right? people who mistreat you. Think about it. I'm, I'm really, like, I'm really, your, your neighbor who, who started the lawsuit with you, and it's, you know, over the property lines, and you're like, bro, it's literally six inches. Don't worry. That neighbor, right? Your physical neighbor. Think about it. Who else? Who else? Someone, someone who stole your girlfriend? Someone who ruined your marriage? The person your spouse had an affair on, whatever it might be. I'm trying to go, I'm trying to, there's, there's, we, we've experienced, we've experienced those people who are difficult to love. And Jesus is sitting here saying, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. 
If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer, offer your shirt also. Here at Destiny Church, we go above and beyond, right? It's on our wall out here. Jesus is saying, even to the people that are the hardest to love, go above and beyond. This is the love. When he says, love God, in Matthew 22, love God and love people. Jesus wasn't playing around. He's really calling us to love people, all people. Let's keep reading. Verse 30, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? That ain't hard. That, that's not the kind of love God has. That's not the kind of love I want real disciples, authentic Jesus followers to emulate. No, 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 we love everybody. You can't stop this love. You can't hate me enough to stop this love. You can't treat me worse enough to stop this love. This love is coming after you. There's nothing you can do. This love is all-consuming. This love is an, is an indicative of your decisions. This love comes no matter what. This is the love that God's calling us to have. If you love those who only love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Even sinners do that. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much too. We gotta, we gotta show a world Jesus. We've been called to live holy, set apart. People will know that we love God by the way that we love others. All the more important to love our enemies, right? And if you lend money to only those who can repay it, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. Verse 35, he says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked and we need to be too you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate so this is it in 2021 our, our word is transformation for the year if you're new or with us for the first time we, we we've decided to commit ourselves to be transformed this year. We're, we're asking God to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus. If we're going to experience transformation um, as we become disciples of Jesus Christ, you know, we find that being disciples of Jesus Christ, it, we found that that really means to be learners of Jesus. We, we talked about that two weeks ago. Church was canceled last week. Week before that, we talked about what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a learner. So like we, we, we watch Jesus' life, we listen to Jesus' words, and we learn, we apply, and it transforms our character and our behavior. We believe what he says is true. Our belief dictates our behavior. So we start to act and think and talk like Jesus. So, so if we're going to be transformed, we got to behave like Jesus. And what Jesus is teaching us in this moment, we need to learn that this love is, is relentless. That nothing can stop this love. So today, our mission is to not just hear these words of Jesus when he says to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, but there's a call to put our love and our affection for God on display to the world by loving others. So I want to leave you with some questions this morning. Have you been selective about who you choose to show mercy to, kindness to, forgiveness to, have you been selective about who you choose to love? Now, not everyone will reciprocate, reciprocate it, and not everyone will accept it from us, yet the call still remains. Again, this love isn't 
you know, decided on how people treat us or how they respond. It is, it is not about the right neighbor. It's about being the right neighbor. That's what it is. It's about, it's about being the right neighbor. It comes out of us no matter what. If you're desperate to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, right? Let's love people, love people of all kinds. Let's not forget it was Jesus who, while being hung on a cross, crucified, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is, the, this is the mercy of our Savior, and we are to live with that same mercy. Nothing pleases God more. Look for opportunities this week, church, to really love people. I, even as I was preparing this message this week, I was walking around this week with new eyes. I love to go into the gym, put my AirPods in, and not talk to, like, anybody. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to get after it. Let's go. I'm playing, I'm playing my worship music. I'm like, let's go. And I thought, you know what? There's a kid. He's my age. I should probably love him, you know? Pull my AirPod out. How are you, man? Like new eyes, new perspective. We are, we are going to walk around and we are going to love people. Who do you need to love this week? Like, like walking around with these new eyes of like, God, God, just fill me with love. I, wanna, I want people to feel so loved by me, people who know me, people who don't know me, people who love me, people who hate me, people who care to talk to me, people who don't care to talk to me. I'm going to love people, right? Pray that God would empower you to love others the way that he loves us. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.